Hello, and welcome back to the Lazy Fazy Oddcast of Wonder and Whimsy. Well, thank you for the applause. My name is Doug Dugsley Dugertons. I am indeed your humble host, and I'm happy to be here. So if my memory serves me correctly, my first ever Ghibli movie was Kiki's Delivery Service. I believe it was broadcast on the Disney Channel. I was probably around seven to eight years old, and I just remember falling in love with it, with all of it, with everything that was shown to me, the story, the characters, the adventure. I was just immediately sucked in, enthralled, and at peace, (laughs) which I think are the three cornerstones of the Ghibli experience. Okay, I guess for those who have never heard of Kiki's Delivery Service, it's a Studio Ghibli film about a small-town witch named Kiki, and she has a punchy little black cat named Gigi who can talk, and they fly to a big seaside city named Koriko, and there Kiki begins her year-long witch training, which is just something that witches do in this world when they become of age, which is around like 13 or something. (laughs) Kiki's really, really young. And it ends up being the slice of life, magical realism, coming of age story where Kiki has to put on her her grown-up shoes and do very mature things like just going shopping for herself. And especially at that really, really young age. It could even be pre-teen, honestly. I'm not, I'm not sure of the exact age numbers, but like, imagining me at that age doing things like going shopping for groceries and, you know, getting up on time, you know, <laughs> like all these little adult things that we take for granted. And I think just little Dugsley seeing Kiki be so mature, and there's also <laughs> this Saturnian streak in me that always wanted to, at that age, appear older than what they were. Um, and there were so many scenes in Kiki that stood out to me individually, and you'll notice as I say a couple of them, they're not like adventures, you know? It's not like this heart-pounding scene. It's, it's some little subtle moments like her mother brewing potions while talking to that older neighbor and her just sort of waving her hand over these vials of concoctions of magical brews and it looking so natural and so fluid. Even the moments of her just flying on her broomstick with Gigi and her radio, that opening scene is rent-free in my head forever. (laughs) And just imagining Kiki just growing up in this warm bakery setting surrounded by all these warm, delicious scents and all her pancake mix. (laughs) All the Ursula scenes as well, that's the older woman who lives in the older, you know, she's probably like 20, 25, (laughs) but older to Kiki, uh, living in her like crow mansion in the middle of the woods. So cool. But my favorite scene, most of all, that has stuck with me forever and ever and became a source of inspiration for me as a younger smaller Dugsley who so desperately wanted to live independently because to me like independence at the time was still like I'm still had to be home by 10 you know (laughs) but watching Kiki go shopping for groceries at the grocery store 
was and still is one of my favorite scenes in film and in media to this day. It just it struck a chord somewhere deep, deep within me watching her pick up uh, and look at the frying pan and even like the cute scene where Gigi finds his mug. He's like, look, Kiki, it's me. <laughs> and if you've never watched Kiki, by the way, the, these aren't really spoilers, just so you know. Like, this is not going to make or break the, the Kiki experience for you. Um, and in fact, if you've never watched a Ghibli film at all, pause this right now and go watch one. I just, I don't know. Not, not even for this episode, uh, educational purposes, but just for your own well-being and <laughs> your soul. Just just pause this and, and go watch a Ghibli film. Look at all the synopses of, of the different stories. See which one is most relevant to you and your interests. Or if you don't feel like doing that, just watch Spirited Away or Howl's Moving Castle or maybe even Kiki. Like, <laughs> any three of those movies, I think, are pretty good beginner Ghibli movies. But Spirited Away is in its own category of excellence, I feel, and and reverence in the world. So maybe start there. But anyway, when it comes to Kiki, it's kind of interesting because even though it's a story all about being a witch, it's not the main theme of the story. In fact... It ends up being this underbelly of a tale while instead we're watching Kiki learn the themes and lessons of hard work, of growing up and trying to fit in when, when you feel like an outcast, um, or, or leaning into your loved ones during dark times and also the loved ones you pick up during those dark times. This story really illuminates those relationships that are born from the mud, so to speak. Even subjects like healing from artistic or other types of burnout and the art and magic of good luck <laughs> is sort of strewn throughout the whole movie. The way that magic is used as more so of a vehicle of story instead of the focal point of the action was so soothing to me and it felt achievable. To me, like I can do that in my life. I can lean into this tender and subtle underbelly of the world that there's this quiet magic that just sort of flows throughout everything we do. Maybe not quite on the nose as riding on broomsticks or having talking black cats, but I think without having the words for it back then, these were sort of the feelings that were being conjured up as I watched Kiki. So this story ended up opening my eyes to the subtle art of witchcraft in and of itself, if we're gonna... And I, I did take this movie a little literally, <laughs> I think. Uh, and, you know, I was a pretty balanced child. There was a part of me that was chaotic, but usually not when it came to my bodily health. <laughs> that makes sense. I think all the chaos was going on up here. This movie inspired me to take a broomstick and jump off my back porch. Like, that's how much this movie influenced me, where I was really confronting the idea of, of magic being real because of how realistic Miyazaki made this world within this Ghibli film. I feel like this movie almost like incubated an already innate seed that was within me of, of chasing and embracing the oddities of witchcraft and magic 
in day-to-day life, while going grocery shopping, while making your third set of pancakes that day, while uh, cleaning out some old woman's oven, you know, and just like having it innately within me as I do all these mundane tasks, these little tender moments within passionate narratives, intricate world building and environmental storytelling are what is intrinsic to the Ghibli experience and what was always so charming to me as young as childhood and all the way up to now, Kiki is still my favorite movie of all time to this day. And, of course, there's so much to enjoy within a Ghibli movie, though. I mean, I think the art is iconic. You can immediately tell when something has been drawn by the hands of a Ghibli artist, and specifically Miyazaki. I think that the the common themes found within the films, uh, such as the environmentalism... <laughs> I think it might be the most consistent theme that's found in Ghibli movies, which is the hubris of man <laughs> taking down Gaia and the world around us. Also, just themes like uh, um, empowering and relatable female protagonists, I feel, is a really strong suit of Ghibli movies. Um, flying. <laughs> I know that might be a weird one. I don't think there's a single movie where flying is not a part of its imagery, I suppose, and storytelling, whether that is falling through the sky, falling with style, or if that is slowly being drifted to the ground, or someone starting from way up here and ending way down at the bottom, or vice versa, starting from down here and going up. Flying's a huge part of Ghibli, which we will get into deeper. And most of all, humanity on every dimension. There's been time and time again that Miyazaki, who, by the way, his name is Hayao Miyazaki. <laughs> he is one of the co-founders of Ghibli, and I think the figurehead of the company at this point, because he's the director. He's the, he's the storyteller of Ghibli, when maybe there's other people behind the scenes that do more technical work, like the producers and stuff who are just as important to the collaboration of a Ghibli movie, but I'm probably going to be talking about Miyazaki most of all throughout this process. Miyazaki has mentioned time and time again that he is humbled and enthralled by humanity in and of itself. Just the art of being human, how humans respond to stimuli, how intriguing it is that we as an individual are influenced by one thing yet ignore another. He, he loves to put a magnifying glass on the humanity of it all. And therefore, the humanity of it all often leads into the discussion of the hero's journey throughout most Ghibli movies as well, which is really amazing to think about because Kiki is so mundane. But we definitely watch this pretty stark evolution throughout the film over her one year of witch training in Koriko and imagining the hero's journey sort of unfolding in all of these films where at the end of it, the main character may be in the same place physically as where they began, but mentally they are a completely new person and sort of highlighting how events in life can open up all these strange new doors <laughs> constantly and how we react 
and respond to these actions that happen and, and from varying levels of good and bad happenings. Like these Ghibli movies are not just like love and light. These talk about very serious subjects like war. And like I said, even environmentalism is very serious and something to, to stay discerning about. The humanness of the dialogue and the characters in both animation and script, I think, is also an iconic part of Ghibli movies. How even the most side-of-side characters with one line, you could just tell a whole story through one of the, like, an old man coming to pick up bread from Kiki's it's not her bakery technically uh but the bakery she works at and it's amazing how much can be said with so little <laughs> and of course i think an honorable mention to the ghibli experience is the soundtracks which are usually done by a man named joe hisaishi and he is such a talented artist and soundscapist <laughs> I would be amiss to not mention him in my relay of all things that make Ghibli Ghibli. But in order to fully embrace the magic of Ghibli and start this conversation, we must also take a moment and glance at Hayao Miyazaki's self being <laughs> and and his upbringing and uh it, he he is an integral part of the Ghibli experience. So I just I want to take a little bit of time and talk about what I've learned about him when looking at the astrology of Ghibli as a whole. So Hayao Miyazaki was born on the 5th of January in 1941 in what is considered Tokyo in modern day. He has no birth time, by the way, so there's quite a few question marks. But what we do know is that he's a Capricorn sun, Aries moon, uh, at the very least. <laughs> Since a young age, was fascinated and in love with the idea of storytelling through manga in particular. He realized pretty quickly in his life he wanted to be a manga artist and storyteller. He was inspired by manga artists such as Osamu Tezuka, who made uh, Astro Boy, what is considered the first manga. <laughs> and he, he, even at a young age, was like, I don't want to copy his work, though. You know, like, I want this to be my own. I, I, there, there's always been, like, this huge, powerful streak of independence throughout Miyazaki. And I think there's a lot of reasons for this. <laughs> so one of the most important things I think to mention about his upbringing and how it bleeds into the storytelling that he does through Ghibli movies is when he was four years old, he witnessed the bombing of Utsunomiya in July when he was, I think I said this already, when he was around four years old. <laughs> and of course, witnessing something quite like that, it, he, it changed him forever. He was also raised by a pretty mm, stern and cold father. He had a mother who loved him dearly. He was second of four brothers, and he apparently was like the mama's boy, and mom just doted upon Hayao Miyazaki <laughs> to the ends of the earth. But his father, I think ended up being a big influence in his life, but maybe, I don't even want to say for the worse. In an interview after his father's death in 1994, he mentioned that he wasn't, like, broken up about his death, first of all, but he also mentioned that he felt as if he inherited his father's, this is a direct 
quote translation, anarchistic feelings and his lack of concern about embracing contradictions, which I think is really interesting. And even that verbiage alone shows that, like, he's also a very self-aware man <laughs> and understands that maybe uh, the the... This is a strong word, so bear with me, but, like, the trauma, we, we all deal with parental trauma, whether we like it or not, but, like, this, this type of trauma just has stuck with him and has become ingrained into his system and the way that he lives through life, and anarchistic feelings... Yeah, definitely. I, I, I feel like in a different life and with stronger, maybe <laughs> Sagittarius energy, maybe we could have seen Hayao Miyazaki in the streets. And he has marched for rights. He has been in spaces where there are uprisings and, and humanity uh, feeling squished and angry and marginalized. And he's observed these moments of humanity standing up and fighting back. And while I think many of us have witnessed these moments, maybe we just haven't had the upbringings to really understand how to alchemize these very heavy and suffocating feelings that can occur when watching humans fight and fight and fight and fight. And Miyazaki, I feel, as an artist, has made that an important part of his work is to showcase the art of humans coming together for a greater good. That's sort of the whole thing that inspired Castle in the Sky, which, by the way, I watched again very recently and is still excellent and is even better as an adult. <laughs> Castle in the Sky was in part inspired by Miyazaki witnessing the 1984 coal miners strike, which happened in Europe, which sounds so weird as an American talking about, because I, I literally just learned about this when researching about Castle in the Sky and Miyazaki. Apparently in the 80s, a huge, huge strike occurred because, of course, coal mining is just so dangerous and underpaid and overworked. Tale as old as time, right? And... The fact that the strike ended and then coal mining ceased to exist after that, on such a large scale at least, overseas, and, and that just kind of left an impact on Miyazaki, who saw this whole dynamic as people in power impacting the layman's way of life and numbing and shutting down the hardworking spirit and soul of these miners. And he, he found himself inspired and admiring these men that had worked so hard to fight for something that I feel was humane <laughs> and something that was important for their well-being and for their family and their families' families. And the result was that the powerful just kicked them all out and came up with new ideas. And I think that really sat with Miyazaki. It's so interesting <laughs> that this is an episode on Ghibli, but I'm here talking about these very critical real-world events. But I think this is exactly what is meant to happen in a Ghibli natal chart. Because Ghibli films do not shy away from the terrors of humans, of what we are capable of, Princess Mononoke alone <laughs> is enough to carry this genre 
of of the hubris of man destroying the world and especially humans abusing power just in general and and letting it get to their head you're gonna see this theme so much throughout all these different ghibli movies and no wonder that miyazaki has held this flame for so long seeing and witnessing the events of what humans are capable of on both ends of the spectrum, from bombings to all rising up together and striking against inhumane conditions and underpaid wages. Although he's a very pensive and critical man, he who who has no problem breaching and discussing heavy subjects, most of all, the man is an artist. He has had a strong pull and love of the arts. Like I said, he he knew pretty quickly in life that he wanted to storytell through manga in particular. Interestingly, a lot of his early life was spent drawing planes, tanks, uh, automobiles, any sort of large machinery. It's pretty common in Ghibli movies to see some sort of steampunk influence sort of, once again, very subtly woven throughout the movie, right? And I think it's that sort of balance that Ghibli does best, where they give us a really intriguing and aesthetically pleasing world. That's not the point, though. The point is usually the bigger story at hand that's dealing with very humane, mundane, but also like larger than life issues because he also has this adventurous streak in him. So at the helm of most Ghibli films is this very contemplative, abstract, maybe even a little bit melancholy of a man. (laughs) Ghibli offers us these creative, beautiful, uplifting movies. And then we watch documentaries of Hayao Miyazaki himself. And he's not like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, you know? His Jupiter is conjunct his Saturn. His Saturn is just, like, blown out of the water. (laughs) Um, Like, he is a a, a deeply Saturnian man. He's also very Jupiterian as well, which we'll be getting into when we sort of compare and contrast the Ghibli chart to his a little bit. His Saturn is extra loud, I feel, and I feel like he spent a lot of time in his head thinking and molding and alchemizing his heavy pent-up feelings. Because, of course, when we observe so much of the world, it's the same thing that we warn people about on social media, where if you're intaking so much bad news, then, of course, you're going to be waking up feeling like crap and not feeling energized or ready to take on the day when you know that there's horrors around all of us. The horrors, like, (laughs) there's only so much we can do. And then we watch Miyazaki once again in these documentaries, and you can tell he's exhausted. And And Japanese work culture aside and all those little intricacies, I too would be exhausted having lived a life that he has. (laughs) And to watch almost nothing improve over the time when he started advocating for the rights of others until now, it's like, yeah, my my spirit would be a little squanched too. I can't blame him. (laughs) Nonetheless, Ghibli movies would not exist nor be what they are without his careful and steady hand and his distinct talent and gift of storytelling and creating worlds that are engaging, relatable, yet fantastical. <laughs> it's it's amazing to behold. So without further ado, I think it's time for us to start looking at Ghibli's chart itself. 
And once again, if you want to follow along and look at the chart while I'm kind of waxing poetic about it, uh, you can find this chart in this episode's show notes, which should be linked down below in your prospective podcast listening area. But if that's not there for some reason, you can find it on phasey.love slash oddcast. And then there's an episode archive link. You'll be able to find the episode in that list there. And the, the, the charts will be there, which will include Studio Ghibli's chart. And I'm also going to have Hayao Miyazaki's chart to look at. So, so I hope that helps for those who need it because I'm a visual learner too. So I understand. <laughs> So Studio Ghibli was born on June 15th, 1985 in Tokyo, Japan. I gave it a birth time of midnight. It, it's hard to find those intricacies <laughs> of when exactly the the red ribbon was cut for a company. Whenever I can't find a birth time, I just give it midnight because the whole day is its oyster, surely. <laughs> and this birthday gives Studio Ghibli a Gemini sun, a Taurus moon, and a Pisces rising. First of all, before we even start, I just want to say that I too am a Pisces rising. So I'm feeling very heard and very seen. <laughs> if there's anyone else who's here who's listening and is a Pisces rising and is a fellow Ghibli lover, well, no wonder. We are just in tune with the, the Ghibli flow, okay? <laughs> it's just what we do, I suppose. And it makes sense. Like, Ghibli movies, I think, are just so Piscean in quality, first and foremost. I mentioned earlier that both Miyazaki and Ghibli are Jupiterian, and this is where we're going to start breaking this down. And for this chart, I want to start with Pisces Rising and kind of talking about why this is such a cornerstone of energetic output from Ghibli. Some notable aspects to Pisces Rising is that it is square, the Gemini sun in the fourth house, okay? we And squares, a bit of tension, uh, a bit of frustration maybe, but also a lot of potential for growth can happen here. But the Pisces Rising is also trying our Scorpio Saturn in the ninth house, which uh, I think is kind of just seeped into this whole like analyzation of of this Pisces rising goodness okay and there's no planets in the first house by the way so we just have our lone Pisces rising at, at the helm of Ghibli ship one of the big ways that this is illustrated through Ghibli movies is that ultimately I've I've viewed this for a long time that Ghibli is almost like a translator or like an advocate for all things unseen, non-corporeal, and, and subtle. And the reason why I came to that conclusion is because I feel the same way about myself. <laughs> Especially with the sun square Pisces rising. Because I also have a Gemini sun squaring my Pisces rising. So we have this very verbal sun very intricate and curious and language oriented and a storyteller son, <laughs> this muse, this bard of a sun sign. And then we have the dreamy, heady, naturally alien, naturally fantastical Pisces rising sort of coming together, bumping heads a little. I, I also, so I put this word in bold highlighted huge letters to describe the Pisces Rising Ghibli experience, and that is romantic. 
of romance, okay? But not, not like, love romance. It's just to romanticize, to idealize mundane and thoughtless activities, to capture the space between inhale and exhale, to illuminate the teeny nooks of magic in day-to-day life. I think that is the Pisces rising square sun and Gemini way. Because <laughs> I do the same thing. That That is what I feel like I've been put on this earth to do, is to illuminate the tiny cradles and crumbs of magic that a lot of people go through life not noticing and not acknowledging. And then Pisces comes in ruled by Jupiter with their magnifying glass, just just making it huge and big and beautiful, sort of like that old picture, which has been debunked, by the way. But like, (laughs) I remember when this picture was going around online of like that super microscoped picture of sand and then it was just like a whole bunch of tiny seashells do you guys know what i'm talking about (laughs) i was i was baited by that because like i was like oh my god the earth is so beautiful i I, bro was flabbergasted and (laughs) i think that at its core that's what this aspect brings to the world naturally and through desire. And like I said, the the Pisces Risings also dipping their toes into a somber ninth house Saturn. And the ninth house deals with everything. Upper education and spirituality, expanding our brains, expanding our minds, deepening our stories. But when we have Saturn there, I feel like it kind of brings us down to earth a little bit. It brings a little bit of a grounded edge to the Ghibli experience. There's often an overarching story inspired by Miyazaki's travels, often after witnessing, like I mentioned, these human-incited acts of violence or social change, which these are all Nine House ideals, by the way. And this reaction works famously well for Takahata's Grave of the Firefly. So Miyazaki did not make Grave of the Fireflies, but his bestie did. Uh, Isao Takahata, rest in peace. By the way, I miss his brain so much. (laughs) It still hurts to think about. And I also believe, this is sort of an aside, so forgive me, but I I believe Saturn also rules the idea of timelessness. So it rules everything dealing with time, but also the fact that things can be timeless. To me, these movies do not have an unstable shelf life, nor are locked into one age group or gender or anything like that, right? This is meant for everyone at any time. There are lessons to behold and embrace at any point of human lives because this is, these are stories highlighting the art of being human and capturing the magic of humanity, that is intrinsic in all of us. And the this ninth house Saturn, I feel, is what keeps it more mundane than it not being there. If it weren't there, I feel like these movies would be ten times more fantastical and without uh, Miyazaki's Saturnian influence. And as previously stated, both Ghibli and Miyazaki are highly Jupiterian. Uh, once again, Miyazaki's Jupiter's conjunct his Saturn retrograde. One of the most important things to me as an astrologer is finding the chart ruler. And the chart ruler is the ruler of the ascendant sign. So Pisces ascendant. The ruler of Pisces is Jupiter or Neptune, depending upon what astrology you use. I'm going to be using Je- Jupiter in my studies. <laughs> if, if you're curious, they, it does have a Neptune in the 11th house, which is very interesting, and I, I feel relevant, and we're actually going to talk about a little bit later on. But we see Jupiter in the 12th house, 
an Aquarius. So a 12th house Aquarius Jupiter. And I wrote down the, the phrase I wrote here was depths upon depths. Like, it's just these movies run deeper than we could ever imagine. It's like an endless toy box for the creator and the imbiber. <laughs> I think to the average person, Aquarius energy may look chaotic and, and like troublemaking, but to the Aquarian itself and to the Aquarius energy, it just makes perfect sense because they're just building up energy the way they want to, to tell the stories they want to tell. It's their rules that they're building. And I think that this influence has helped Ghibli sort of create its own name and its own vibration in the world because it's so authentic to the people who created the movies. This is not purely for our entertainment. There's also some storytelling that Miyazaki really needs to get out of his system, it feels like. So we're also witnessing a true Jupiter Aquarius moment where he's bearing his soul. But it could also feel very lonely, which I think is that, that 12th house part where I don't know how exactly fulfilling this will be. <laughs> it will be huge. It will be expansive. It will be, uh, it will deepen your connection to yourself. But I wonder if the storytelling that is done is actually going to have very straightforward results for Miyazaki beyond just like money and fame. And the ability to tell more stories, right? And, and, and maybe that's also a part of this too, because like the 12th house is also the house of like loss and of grief. And I think that there's just so much pain and heart poured into these films. Once again, Miyazaki is not like a yippee, woohoo kind of guy. He is carrying wounds and carrying sorrows throughout his life. And I think that this is his vent. This is how he vents. This is how he gets it out. But he also is doing it in a way that's so beautiful and so accessible and recognizable and moments where we just are able to tap in and be like, I see you. I see you, Miyazaki. You're speaking my language, right? <laughs> that's also such a, ge uh, a Gemini fourth house son thing. You're speaking my language right now. You know, that, that sentiment. Even though he's speaking them in forms of cute little fishy fishy in the sea or the the forest spirit with an umbrella doing a dance on a tree you know like it it's amazing how he's able to combine our very mundane world with a very magical world and it's worth mentioning and i'm probably going to mention this a couple more times that many people assume that miyazaki has an agenda for his movies, right? And and very, very outspoken about his position politically. And I think that people, when, when a new Ghibli movie comes out and it's once again about environmentalism and about politics and human rights, that he's coming out with this, like, if you don't feel the way I do, then you're fucked and you're stupid, which is what some of the movies portray itself. But he has time and time again has asserted, no, it's not not it's really not about that i am making this to make something pleasant and fun for the audience which i believe honestly I, I believe him when he says that i think one of the many signs of authentic artistry is just naturally having your soul bleed into your work without you even trying 
right? Where it, it surprises you sometimes how raw something comes out when maybe you just started by drawing a kitty, but then it evolved into like an angel kitty that looked like your first cat that you lost when you were six years old. And you're like, whoa, I didn't even plan that. <laughs> like, uh, I was inspired by cats, but I, I, it's all those like subconscious things that build up upon each other. And like I said, I do think that these Ghibli movies are made as a way for Miyazaki to vent and let out his feelings and, and story tell the stories he wants to tell, which are just intrinsically sort of dripping with the nuance of humanity and all of its terrors. But the heavy themes of humanity killing the earth and the elite abusing their power is a part of Miyazaki's and and his friends, the ones that helped make Studio Ghibli what it is. It's a part of their tapestry. It's a part of who they are. It's a part of life is to carry this these heavy events, these heavy feelings, these heavy thoughts. More power to him. Like, he wants the films to be enjoyable. He wants them to be pleasant and fun. These are the words that he uses and has used time and time again uh, to, to advertise what he wants to elicit from the audience. And, you know, whenever beauty is involved, we access our inner artist, which is just not locked into what people think beauty is, right? The, the the idea of, like, conventional versus unconventional beauty. And I think to some people, Miyazaki's beauty may be unconventional when we are in the same movie watching a beautiful forest utopia and just as much the beauty of watching the uprisings. How do I word this? Sort of like when a wildfire happens and the soot is what helps the next generations of trees to grow and finding the beauty in that. The destruction that leads into even more beautiful growth. These are the types of themes and lessons that Ghibli movies portray when normally I think when a lot of us talk about Ghibli movies we're like oh my god it's so fun it's so cool it's so weird right and I think that word too weird that's a little bit of that Jupiter <laughs> in Aquarius energy but it's nothing that's all too different from us it's just different imagery than what we're able to experience in our earthly lives but they're all stories and lessons that all of us can learn at any time and can tap into at any point and that balance i think is just so Mwah! chef's kiss <laughs> so from there we go into the gemini sun in the fourth house which is pretty cool uh you'll find that gemini's ruler mercury is in uh the cancer fifth house worth mentioning so Gemini's rulers in the fifth house, which is the house of fun. Okay, so this is where we start to get a little bit more whimsical <laughs> in the chart and with the, the way that Ghibli represents itself. It's worth mentioning that Mercury is under the sun's beams, which is an astrological phrasing to indicate that whenever a planet is so close to the sun the sun ends up sort of drowning out its energy and the planet affected ends up working undercover. So working behind the scenes, not really at the forefront, um, usually because they're scorched, uh, so they're a little tired. But Mercury is kind of under the sun's beam. Some, I think some astrologers would argue that it's not. I, In the way that I do astrology, it is under the sun's beams. So I feel like writer's block may have been a problem sometimes <laughs> in, the, in the creation process. I know that in particular, Miyazaki struggled with um i believe princess mononoke gave him some issues uh it took him a little longer to get that movie rolling because he was feeling pretty squeezed and blocked by you know if you're if you're an artist you'd know 
fucking writer's block and artist block. It sucks. It's a bad feeling. It doesn't make sense. And <laughs> so I, I, I worry that maybe sometimes that was like more of an common issue than not, especially when it came to the art of making it enjoyable for the audience. I wouldn't be surprised if he had troubles like balancing the enjoyment versus the, what he wanted to talk about and what he wanted to storytell about because like the dude did not have an easy life. Like he he, he struggled and, and fought to get to where he was. So no wonder he talks about such heavy topics. But if we could spend some extra time on Mercury right now, maybe rather than the Gemini sun, but the, the Gemini sun's ruler, Mercury, in the fifth house in Cancer, is conjunct Ceres. And I've talked about Ceres before. Ceres is my favorite asteroid, the asteroid of healing ourselves to healing the world. Like, it's all about that flow of, of... just healing, healing, healing. What I think another episode I said is like chancy energy. <laughs> it's like blissy from Pokemon. <laughs> Mercury is conjunct Ceres down to the degree, down to the minute. They are exactly on top of each other. They uh, amazing. That is so unlikely. I've never. I'm still kind of a new to astrology, but uh, I almost have never seen like. So, so exact. It's nuts. And also Mars, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's really important, too. Um, One degree away from this hug fest that's going on between Mercury and Ceres is Mars. Uh, Also hanging out in the fifth house, Mars being this fiery, aggressive, assertive planet. A part of the art and the joy of Ghibli movies is how minute the details are. And how while normally maybe focusing on embracing and lifting up these very subtle moments and and like even stuff like the shopping scene, like um, Kiki watching her mother brew potions, right? Like these very, very particular uh, to maybe to others, they would just brush past it and see it as any other old scene in the movie. I think that these were taken with very much care and attention to detail. And while maybe it would normally be an exhausting process to constantly sweat the small stuff. <laughs> I feel like because of this placement, because of Sarah's just conjoined, like they're like conjoined twins, like uh, with, with Sarah's and Mercury, it leads to healing for all parties. These films are not simply artists whimsically slapping paint onto canvas. It's dedicated, crafted artwork, like a watchmaker's loop over their eye, like that little magnifying glass. And they're painstakingly and particularly hand-spinning these gifts for our pleasure. But I also think it's just as equally healing for those who are involved in this creation process. And that's why even though these films take ages to get out, and even though Hayao Miyazaki is a very particular man who has a very particular vision, and I've heard from stories about how he's pretty unforgiving in some spaces regarding uh, uh, who can blame someone for having a vision and then wanting it to come to life the way that they envisioned it. You know what I mean? I, I can't really fault someone for desiring that. But this dance that's happening, Sarah's Mercury, Mars, it's tough, it's hard, but to sweat the small stuff in this Ghibli world, I think is a part of the reason why we are so enchanted by these slightly more magically mundane worlds. <laughs> not to mention, oftentimes, the memorable moments from Ghibli are not quotable, but experienced. I don't know any Ghibli quotes, 
personally. Like, and I'm a huge diehard Ghibli fan. What I remember of the series are the experiences, the the fight scenes, the little moments of uh, shopping for frying pans, the breakfast scene in Howl's Moving Castle, right? I think that that's also just a part of, like, that Cancer Mercury kind of being under the sun's beams. And so the stories that are told are, although of course, like are beautifully spoken through the dialogue of the characters, I feel like that the overall storytelling is mostly done environmentally through action rather than through speech, and which is reflected through this slightly weakened Mercury that is also just being supported by hardworking Mars and healing edge of Ceres. <laughs> it's an interesting dance that occurs. And then I also then want to take us to somewhere completely new in the chart that we haven't talked about yet, which is Ghibli's, which is Studio Ghibli's Taurus Moon in the Third House. Which, by the way, is uh, quite harmonious because the ruler of Taurus, which is Venus, is also in the third house. So she's right at home feeling pretty happy with herself. <laughs> so we're going to be finding this Taurus moon, once again, in the third house. This is the house of communication, of storytelling, of cerebral prowess, and also the house of short travels, of siblings, of love letters, of <laughs> and of, of honestly many things. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I see the third house as like the junk drawer of the chart where like anything that doesn't really fit anywhere else just sort of gets thrown into the third house because it collects all these little trinkets and bijou of life that it, it's it's all the small stuff it's intricate it's little teaspoons of magic because it's opposite the ninth house which is just huge expansive Whoa, mind-blowing experiences, you know? So the third house rules those little, little experiences that you can kind of hold in your palm, holding the flame close to your heart. You know, the third house, it just represents how we're heard and how loud we are. The moon being there. I mean, of course, Studio Ghibli was created with storytelling in mind as a space to vent and speak feelings. I feel like it operates best when there's a constant flow of energy to greet. So that's why there was just so many movies coming out back to back up until Miyazaki's retirement in 2013, which I don't know if you guys have heard. It's no longer a thing. He just announced a new movie, The Boy and the Heron, which is out? Question mark? I'm actually kind of (laughs) confused. Because, like, I feels like there was no build-up to it, and then all of a sudden there was a Ghibli film. So, it, I, is it out yet? I'm not... Which looks excellent, by the way, and you should check out the, the trailer for it. It's just classic Ghibli goodness. A little bit of macabre, a little bit of magic, a little bit of realism. Can't go wrong. I, I also wrote for, like, The Moon in the Third House. This is quite a heady placement, I feel, uh, because the moon is just so emotional and feelings-based and sensitive. And then the third house is, once again, like, very surfacy, and it's just very la-la-la-la-la. Like, I'm just, uh, it, it's, it's pretty fast-paced. And I feel like the combination between those two is that there's just, like, much to ponder about after watching a Ghibli film. I feel like they're really good films to watch more than once because I think there's more to pick up on every time you tune in and listen to the story again. It's like a little crow's nest where you can just pick out a new treasure every time you watch a Ghibli movie, which to me is moon and third house activity. And it's worth mentioning big, big, 
big heart energy just radiates through these movies. I think that this is also related to the fifth house cancer uh, stellium that's happening between Mercury, Mars, and Ceres, right? Uh, and, and just like crying and tears. You know, it's funny too, because Ghibli tears are such, it's a phrase that I use in my day-to-day life where when I cry, and I cry a lot, <laughs> I'm a big crier. There's different levels of crying, okay? There's like, you know, you're sniffly and you got a couple, you're you're tearing up or there's tears welling in your eyes or, you know, like there's tears rolling down your eyes, but it's like a quiet kind of crying. But there's like a crying that's involved in Ghibli movies, not not by us and the viewer, but the crying of the characters. And you see like how big and, and globuly <laughs> the tears are. And like, they're so tangible. It's what it feels feels like when you cry that's what the like how big and how they like cover the entire cheekbone and like roll down like jelly down the face like that is truly how tears feel sometimes (laughs) i don't know i i relate that to this very strong third house dance plus the fifth house dance that's going on because like i said the third house is how we communicate with the world the fifth house is uh because it's ruled by cancer it's it's how we have fun but there's going to be a little bit of emotions involved (laughs) so like i said also in the third house is venus very cool and it's conjunct the moon so they're they're working hand in hand and venus in the third house in taurus is right at home and when venus is right at home a few things occur, okay? Things are not heavy-handed, okay? And these movies certainly are not. I feel like, although there's a lot to ponder about and think about after a movie, I feel like the movie itself is pretty straightforward most of the time. Like, the way that it tells the story. Um, there's not often many, like, well, if you think about it this way, it's, like, more so metaphors that are happening or, like, relations to things that are happening in our real life. It's pretty straightforward. Like... There, there's, like, literal, like, wars and bombings in Ghibli movies, right? Like, it, it, usually the things that we're pondering about are, like, our internal journey. <laughs> Maybe less about the movie ourselves, but more so how the movies made us feel and how we reacted to it. So, like, they, these movies are not harsh, okay? They're, uh, uh, they could be heavy, but they're not heavy-handed. There's a difference. There's a way to navigate this because there's a depth to them. Maybe that's how I want to wear it. There's depth to Ghibli movies, but they're not heavy handed. They, they don't hit you like this, right? With the way you might feel that way after watching a movie, but you know, this Venus in the third house, it offers that extra attention to the mundane, humane happenings and those delicate moments that Ghibli are just masterful at capturing. The bits and bobs of all the particular imagery is beautiful as well. Like, we cannot deny how beautiful Ghibli movies are, just not like at a base level. And like, honestly, 90% of the time, my computer wallpapers are Ghibli backgrounds. I actually just recently switched mine off from an Arietti background that I had for like years. (laughs) Like, it's all so magnificent, so beautiful, so artistic. Miyazaki himself, he was inspired to create The Wind Rises, after reading a quote from mechanic or like creator of an airplane uh, named Horikoshi. Horikoshi mentioned in his biography, he mentioned, all I wanted to do was 
to create something beautiful. That's what he said. And Miyazaki said that's what inspired him to build and create this movie, The Wind Rises, after the person who who said this quote. Sorry. That was a little more confusing than I thought it was going to be to explain. <laughs> Sorry. I hope that made sense. But <laughs> to me, that's just such like a, a Venus influence as well, of course, right? Just making something beautiful just so that it exists and is beautiful. I would not be surprised if that's a huge pull of Ghibli as well, because we cannot deny the natural essence of beauty that radiates throughout a Ghibli movie. It's just, they're they're amazing. They're beautiful. You can't deny that. Right, guys? <laughs> Surely this isn't a matter of opinion. <laughs> but I, I think what matters the most is that it, it's beautiful to Miyazaki, right? And beautiful to Ghibli. Hey, the chart says that we are meant to receive it that way, too. And then finally, also in the third house, which I didn't mention yet, is the North Node, which is very loosely conjunct the moon. Some people would say it is, some people would say it isn't. I'm just going to say it's like loosely conjunct. So they're kind of working together. And the North Node is all about what we're meant to be embracing in this lifetime. So it's like, what is this big, almost like karmic astral goal for Studio Ghibli? And then that's where we look at the North Node, which sits in the third house, kind of conjunct Mercury, kind of conjunct Venus. What I found as an astrologer is that Oftentimes when I'm reading charts for older individuals, they have naturally leaned into their North Node in some capacity because, once again, it's this intrinsic part of ourselves that we just, this is what we're meant to do in this lifetime. This is what we're meant to embrace and what we're meant to chase to fully actualize and, and create the, the, the life that we're meant to to embrace for our greater good, for our chart, for our uh, uh, soul, right? It's a very, it's, it's a very esoteric placement in the sky, as opposed to maybe more mundane Mars, which is just like energy output and the way that you like physically connect with the world. The North Node is uh, a lot more esoteric than that. <laughs> Once again, as I've seen oftentimes with older people's charts, they naturally find themselves leading towards their North Node. And Ghibli is no different because I think that Ghibli has fully, in a lot of ways, leaned into this potential. A North Node in the third house is like embracing, once again, the nooks and crannies of the creation process and its associating result. It's to be extra particular and maybe even fussy and offer exquisite detail to the viewer. And I wrote down in bold, scrupulous aesthetically pleasing and memorable experiences. I think that's the art of embracing this third house Taurus North Node as opposed to the South Node that's up in Scorpio, I believe. Yes, Ninth House Scorpio. You know, it's interesting to think about too because like I said, the Ninth House is all about like these big messages to the world, the, w the way we deepen our spirit and deepen our, our connection to ourselves. And maybe the North Node is just all about just embrace the process, embrace the flow of the, the, the creation process and to not think so deep about the story you're telling. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Miyazaki needs to tune into this episode. <laughs> maybe I can help. I can fix him, guys, <laughs> with, with this birth chart, okay? <laughs> and finally, I kind of touched upon this throughout the process, but I wanted to spend a little extra time on the fifth house Cancer Stellium, which consists of Mercury, Mars, and Ceres, 
all within like a degree or less of each other. What's worth mentioning, a few of these aspects that are happening with the stellium is that it is opposite the midheaven in the 10th house and also opposite Neptune in the 11th house. So to some people, that's the chart ruler, uh, that, that Neptune in 11th and, uh, Capricorn, Capricorn 11th house. And so I wrote, I wrote this down <laughs> for, for this cancer stellium. I said, the story, Mercury, is delivered with directness, Mars, and healing, Ceres, in mind, and always fun. Fifth house. Yippee. Listen, in, in, I mentioned this already. I'm going to mention it again. In many interviews, you will see Miyazaki feeling inspired to give the audience a pleasurable and fun experience over all else. That is something we have to remember as, as in, enjoyers and purveyors of the Ghibli experience. It's really made for us to have a good time. Yes, he has stories to tell. Yes, he has emotions to release. But he is always prioritizing our joy throughout this process. I think another way that this fifth house cancer stellium is explored is that on top of like this healing journey that I feel a lot of us undertake when we accept Ghibli into our hearts, uh, including the people who make the films, in my opinion. Miyazaki just loves to illustrate a good, vitalizing adventure. At least once in a Ghibli movie, there's always a beat of, like, blood-pumping excitement, uh, which I feel is Mars, Martian in nature. It's gonna happen at least once. Even in the most mundane of Kiki, there's this exciting climax. Uh, even in My Neighbor Totoro, which may be the, one of the, like, calmest movies ever made <laughs> there's a moment of of high intensity action line uh f diving headfirst into adventure moment like he he really likes to awaken our inner hero whenever a, a ghibli movie occurs miyazaki likes to put us in the shoes of a journey once again the hero's journey i think is just so intrinsic to the Ghibli way, and is definitely reflected in this fifth house moment. I, the final thing I want to say about this Cancer Stellium is, once again, it's this is emotional yet comforting, right? I, the, the, that's the essence of Ghibli. It's an emotional story, an adventurous story, and, and has tugging at the heartstrings in, in mind, and really uses the art of emotion to storytell, uh, you can clearly see what people are feeling on their faces in these films, right? I, I feel like everyone wears their heart on their sleeve <laughs> in these films. There's very little deception and lies because the whole time you can see the villain's face screwing up when the, the protagonist is doing something especially heroic, you know, like it, it, <laughs> all these characters, all these stories are once again, very quite straightforward and are not here to be analyzed in and of themselves, but to be analyzed with how you reacted to them. I think Ghibli films are made for us to introspect about and pontificate about uh, specifically how we felt and how we reacted to what was happening on screen. And dare I say, the only agenda <laughs> that Miyazaki has is having us ball our eyes out at the gentleness of it all. <laughs> the, 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 it's so carefully crafted. 
just like with Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom too, right? Like uh, things were very in- are very intricately chosen for how the storytelling occurs, and especially with such a scrupulous man as Miyazaki, there's not much that's gonna get off of his radar regarding how he wants to tell these stories and what he needs to say to the world. Because I, I think he has a lot to say, and he's observed a lot, and I do think he's a wise man. The way that he teaches us. And a teacher, too, right? <laughs> but, you know, that also brings me to that South Node, North Node thing, where maybe, eventually, Ghibli is not meant to teach, but to entertain, to just give us little handfuls, little pocketfuls of venusian joy right maybe at some point he will have released all of this built-up energy anger frustration and disdain for the world and instead lean into the joy that he's created because of his acute storytelling but of course that never would have happened if he didn't actually participate in the releasing of energy to storytell in such distinct and emotional ways. North Node and South Node's all about learning, honestly. We we have to learn how to step into our North Node, and in order for us to learn how to step into our North North Node, we have to step into our South Node. And our South Node is our comfort zone. Right, so I think it's very comfortable for Ghibli to explore that that Scorpio esque depth <laughs> that it, it covers up the ninth house. But in reality, the true joys and what Ghibli is meant to be is a story and one that is beautiful and inspiring and heartfelt and authentic. It's all very interesting to pontificate about. And of course, there's only so much and so far we can go without having the man right in front of us to talk about it with. (laughs) And I, of course, don't want to... I personally don't feel super comfortable diving too deep into individuals' birth charts without their permission. Even though they're a celebrity, I get it. I just... It's a me thing. Uh, So, you know, there's only so far I can go without me, you know, deciding to deep dive this entire person's existence so (laughs) i hope this all made sense so i will be wrapping up this episode with one final astrological tidbit regarding ghibli and that is that which is that there's actually an asteroid called the hayao miyazaki asteroid (laughs) that you can search up and see where it is in your chart it is asteroid number 888 Eight, three. Okay, that's relevant for those who want to look this up. I find my bonus asteroids through astro.com and their extended chart viewer. There's a place where you can put asteroid qualifications. So if you put 8883 into that, this is too detailed for me to like really spell out for you guys. I'm sorry. Do, do your research. It's worth looking into if you're curious enough. But I wanted to find where my personal Hayao Miyazaki placement was and of course also where Ghibli's is. And from my calculations, which means from the chart that I see right next to me, (laughs) Ghibli's Hayao Miyazaki asteroid is on the first degree of their ascendant. So it is in Pisces, uh, Pisces rising, Miyazaki. I could cry. (laughs) You know, he's at the helm of the ship. (laughs) It's so beautiful, guys. Like, I actually got emotional looking at this. And looking at this again, I I got a little, I got a few tears in my eyes just because, like, of course he is. 
right? <laughs> of course he's at the helm of his own ship, taking us all on this crazy Ghibli ride. And for me, in particular, a diehard Ghibli fan and uh, a Hayao Miyazaki adorer, <laughs> I have my Hayao Miyazaki asteroid on zero degree Libra in my seventh house. So, and the seventh house is all about you. It's all about the others. It's not about me. I just love that for my placement of Miyazaki because, of course, then I just gobbled it up whole. Uh, and, and the way that he tells his stories just uh, in, in one big gulp, it, it's, I have my Chiron in the seventh house and I always feel so othered my whole life, right? I've, I've always felt that I never had a place to fit in fully and that I'd always just have to carve out my own space to be heard, to be seen, to be recognized, uh, which is empowering in some spaces and disheartening other times. <laughs> but one thing that Miyazaki movies have always done for me was help me embrace more of my truth and more of who I want to be, right? Because of that seventh house placement, it's like what I see in others, I want to be able to see in myself. <laughs> and and especially with Kiki's delivery service in particular, seeing myself in Kiki as this scared witch in training, desiring this chance to have a talking cat and to be a witch and to ride on broomsticks, but also embracing the bravery of being 12, 13 years old and doing those things and all the brave happenings that occur in Kiki's delivery service without spoiling too much. Like, yeah, it just all checks out for me. I recommend you guys check out where your asteroid lies. I'm very curious. Please share that with me in any way you can. <laughs> if it's relevant, if it's like, oh, wow, yeah, Miyazaki's in my second house, and I collect Ghibli films, but I also think that this asteroid can represent how you are as a storyteller, as you are with the way that you alchemize external happenings and occurrences and, and events that you've witnessed, and how you alchemize that into art and teaching others and, and making it beautiful for others to intake and finding that dance, finding that balance, right? I think Studio Ghibli serves many people purposes, including and especially Miyazaki-san himself. But also for us as consumers and viewers of these films and of Miyazaki's stories, starting from Nausicaa, starting from Castle of Cagliostro, his, the first ever full feature length film that he directed up until now with the boy and the heron. It's like, I want to bow my head in honor of just witnessing these beautiful, timeless gentle, magical realism, slice of life, and earthly tales, despite them being so otherworldly at the same time. This marriage between the abstract and the true terrors of the world around us, and learning how to embrace ourselves and embrace our inner magic while the world is going mad with power, with grief, with sorrow, with gloom. I think that Ghibli movies teach us how to call back our magic, 
call back our power, lean into loved ones, and be brave and believe in a little bit of luck. There's a lot of luck in Ghibli movies, and maybe one day we'll even get to fly, too, <laughs> and ascend beyond all of this and view the world even bigger and from a bird's eye view. Maybe there's just this desire to just see it all from far, far away acknowledge our smallness in this giant puzzle of life and embrace how small we are and embrace the the tininess of our existence and in all of its glory all i know for me is that this movie kiki's delivery service and and the way that miyazaki story tells is a part of the reason why i'm here today when i was at my lowest and i mean I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty, but it trust me when I say this was my lowest. I remember one day sitting on my bed, bawling my eyes out, as one does when they're at their lowest, and staring up at my ceiling fan and like arms open, just like tears running down my body. And I was like, why can't I be like Kiki? Why, why can't magic exist? Why can't I participate in this world quite like she does? Why? And I remember hearing a voice clear as day that was like, magic exists. You can believe in magic. I don't know if I ever would have come to that conclusion that it was even possible without the reminders of Kiki and of how subtle her witchcraft was. Besides the broom flying and <laughs> talking to cats, of course. But these are the ways that Ghibli movies awaken within us. And I hope that this chart helps you as a viewer understand maybe why Ghibli influences you. Because if you're here, I, I presume you're at least familiar with Ghibli and have cried at at least one of their films. <laughs> so maybe this will help illuminate to you. Maybe Maybe you're sharing some placements with Studio Ghibli or even with Miyazaki himself, right? Maybe you end up having like the your Mercury trine, Studio Ghibli's Mercury. No wonder you you're so in tune with the way that the stories are told and you know intricacies like that. I think that's it for me. Thank you for listening. If you've listened this far in, I want to apologize for the delay on this episode. This is about a week late. So, my bad. I have been deep in the Baldur's Gate 3 trenches, <laughs> romancing a vampire, which has been awesome and rewarding, just so you know. <laughs> but it's also the time for the seasons to change. Happy autumn, by the way. I hope everyone had a beautiful and delicious Mabon with your loved ones. I don't know. I think I just needed a little extra time to chill out and observe the flow and especially uh kill some goblins in Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> Our next episode will be the upcoming Libra New Moon Lunation. We will be talking all about eclipse season which will be beginning during that lunation cycle so that will be really interesting and informative hopefully. <laughs> Uh, that'll be a Thursday, actually, not my normal Monday release. I, uh, you know, I might actually release this on Wednesday, October 11th. Yeah, I might do that. Or the 12th. It'll be the 11th or the 12th. I'm sorry. I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking this episode a little bit more flowy because I apparently needed that for this one. So we're just going to 
kind of go with the flow with the next one too, but I hopefully should not have any more delays for the rest of the year regarding these Oddcast episodes, so thanks for hanging in there! Whoop whoop! Yeah, thank you for tuning in to the seventh episode of the Lazy Fazy Oddcast. I appreciate you all who keep showing up, and to any new listeners, welcome! I'm glad you're here. And... I guess that's it for me. Thank you again for watching and listening to my ode to all things that I love about Ghibli and Miyazaki. And may we all continue to lean into the magic of fairy tales, forest spirits with giant umbrellas, long train rides with spirits, delicious ham sandwiches with loved ones, Flying castles hidden behind clouds and little sparkly red shoes and shop windows. <laughs> Thank you all. This was Dukesley. Thank you for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time on the Lazy Fazy Oddcast of Wonder and Whimsy. Take care, everyone! Bye-bye! <laughs>